Did you know we have wars and rumors of wars until the end of the millennium? I do believe that the hook in the jaw is indeed the natural gas of Israel, and Russia will come to that realization when they see how the sanctions are really affecting their economy. Welcome to Understanding the Times Radio with Jan Markell, Radio for the Remnant, brought to you by Olive Tree Ministries. Today, Jan visits with Dr. David Reagan about the nine wars of the end times. Humanity will not be finished with this conflict until the new heavens and new earth. What does this mean for believers? Here is today's programming. But the security provided by Psalm 83 war will not last long because what will happen is that the Arab nations will turn to their natural ally Russia and cry out for help, resulting in the first war of Gog and Magog. The war described in Ezekiel 38 and 9. This is where Russia comes down against Israel with certain specified Muslim allies. The Russians will be delighted to respond to the Arab cry for help because they have always dreamed of taking over the oil fields of the Middle East. They will therefore launch an invasion for the stated purpose of helping the Muslims destroy Israel. Their specific allies will involve the outer ring of Muslim states that surround Israel, all but Saudi Arabia. Now, I believe that the unstated agenda of the Russians and their real motivation will be to use the Arab invitation as an excuse to expand their sovereignty over all the Middle East. This ulterior motive is described in Ezekiel 38:12, where it says the Russians will come to capture spoil and to seize plunder. The invading armies will be supernaturally destroyed by God on the mountains of Israel. The Lord will accomplish this destruction through earthquakes and pestilence, hail, fire, and brimstone, and battlefield confusion. Even the Jewish people will recognize that the victory belongs to God, and it will open many of their hearts to the Lord. Glad you can join me for today's programming on Understanding the Times Radio. I'm going to continue the theme of apologetics, which we did last week as well. This week, I'm going to be joined momentarily by Dr. Dave Reagan, and Jesus told us to watch for wars and rumors of wars in the last days, but who could have imagined the war scenario in the last few hundred years? And there will be war in the next dispensation, the tribulation. There is even a war at the end of the millennium, and we can conclude that not until we get to the new heavens and the new earth will mankind finally be free of war forever. So we are, with that in mind, carrying Dr. Dave Reagan's newest book, Nine Wars of the End Times, and I'll say a lot more about it as we go into the hour. Dr. Dave Reagan has chronicled these nine end time wars that I think we need to be familiar with. Most are familiar with a couple of these wars. Others are not so familiar, but the Bible outlines them. I'm going to be playing some sound bites this hour to complement our discussion Dave Reagan is the founder of Lamb Lion Ministries and Christ in Prophecy TV. He has had an outstanding prophecy conference for years. I was privileged to participate in 2014 and again in 2018. And that ministry is now headed by Tim Moore. Dr. Reagan remains very active as he's writing and authoring a lot of books. David Reagan, welcome back to the program. Well, thanks, Jan. It's always a joy to be on your program. I just praise God for you and your ministry. 
David, we're going to cover as many of these wars as possible. We may or may not get through all of them. I certainly want to get to the highlights, if you can call war a highlight. But let's start with, you even call this the iffy war. Not everyone is convinced that Psalm 83 is a war. I know Mark Hitchcock thinks it's an impregatory prayer. Others think that it happened in 1967 or perhaps even 1973. And that would be the Psalm 83 war. This may be a war where Israel destroys Damascus. Again, we don't know, but talk to us a bit about this. I do call it the Ithi War because people who interpret prophecy for its plain sense meaning, which includes you and me, do differ on this. And I would say that about half of them say that it's not going to be a war of the end times, and the other half say, yes, it is going to be a war of the end times. And I cover that in the chapter on that. I name specific names of people and what their positions are on this war. And there are very good arguments for both sides. Mark Hitchcock, who I highly recommend to anybody, his writings, and I really respect him, he takes the position that it's simply a lament that applies to the fact that Israel is always under attack by someone. Bill Solace, another man I respect, takes the position, no, that it's a very specific war that's going to occur in the end times. And as you said, there are prophecy scholars scattered all over the landscape who say, no, it happened in Bible times, or it happened in 1967, or it's going to happen sometime in the near future. So the timing of this war, if it really is a war, is all over the place. So I try to give people an overview of all that, and then I come to my own conclusions about it. Basically, what I say concerning that particular war is that there is no biblical fulfillment of it, that the Six-Day War could have been a partial fulfillment, that the complete fulfillment of it is most likely future, and it will be a war that would pave the way for Gog and Magog. That's where I come out on it, but I'm not being dogmatic about that. That's just my summation of it. I think people will find it very interesting, particularly people who really love Bible prophecy, to read the different positions that people have on this particular war. As we morph into the next one, which you've referenced here, Gog and Magog, and folks, that's G-O-G and Magog, this one is definitely a war. There's actually two of them. They're totally distinct from each other, and we'll get to the second one towards the end of the hour. But this opening segment here, I want to talk about Ezekiel 38 and 39. At debate is the timing of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38 39. Many say that it's going to be after the rapture and right before the tribulation, and there's a reason they say that, and others believe it's going to be today or tomorrow because they got to burn weapons for seven years, etc. I think what I'd like to do is play a very short clip here. It happens to be Dr. Mark Hitchcock, and he's giving us a little bit of an apologetic lesson, a little bit of a geography on Gog and Magog. Lots happening right now in the area of Russia and Ukraine. And when I was growing up, and as I continue to study the Bible, listen to Bible professors and prophetic experts like yourself of another generation, they often talked about the army to the north. And I think Rosh was the word that was used in yes. the original language of the Bible. Is that Russia? And should we be paying attention to what's happening with Russia and with Ukraine in light of Bible prophecy? 
Yeah, I think we should. The word rosh there, rosh, is used in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And we don't just say that it's Russia because the words sound alike. A lot of people say, well, you know, rosh sounds like Russia. There really is good evidence biblically, and when you go back in the language, that this was the area that we know today as Russia. And geographically, it is to right. the north of Israel. That's right. And it says three times there in Ezekiel 38 and 39 to the uttermost parts of the north. Well, all distances in the Bible are always from Israel. So if you go the farthest north you can go from Israel, you're in Russia. So what Ezekiel 38 and 39 speak of a great end time coalition. There's a leader there called Gog, and that word just means high or exalted, probably his view of himself. G-O-G. G-O-G, Gog. Mm -hmm. And he's of the land of Magog. And these places that are listed in Ezekiel 38 are Russia, and one of them's Iran, one of them's Libya, and several of the names relate to Turkey, which is turning very rapidly back towards the east, towards radical Islam. So a lot of these things we see happening in that part of the world, I think, are significant. And with Russia, you know, a lot of people thought that when the Soviet Union fell apart, that that was all over with. Well, the bear has come roaring out of hibernation. We You're not kidding. Say. That's not an accident. I think we see that happening in conjunction with all these other things taking place in the world. I think it's a significant event that's setting the stage. And you're watching nations that used to be under Russian ruler. We saw what happened in Georgia. We see what's happening in Ukraine. There's concern in Latvia and Estonia, those Baltic nations. It seems to be a realignment as to what we thought during the Cold War the Army of the North would look like. No, that's right. It is. And really what happened with the fall of the Soviet Union has really set things up even better. People thought, well, that's the end of that prophecy, and that prophecy wasn't correct. Yeah. No, actually, it's come back now and been reformed in a way that's even more compelling and even more in line with what the Bible says. David, I think the one thing that really stands out in Ezekiel 38:39 is that God's going to have to defeat these invading armies. Israel couldn't possibly tackle that problem. That's absolutely correct, and it will be something that even says in the Scriptures that the Jewish people will realize that they did not accomplish this, that God did. And probably one of the things that will start turning some hearts in Israel toward God and toward Yeshua. The one I want to emphasize is that there's no doubt that this is a war that's going to occur. It's not an iffy war. Everybody agrees this is a war that's going to occur. The only question that people debate about this war is when will it occur, as you pointed out. I would say that for a hundred years, those who interpreted Bible prophecy for its plain sense meaning all took the position that it's a war that would begin at the beginning of the tribulation because it says that Israel is going to be at peace when this war occurs, or it's going to be in a secure position. And so people would say, okay, that can only occur at the beginning of the tribulation when the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with Israel. So that was the position for about a hundred years. But in recent years, that consensus has completely fallen apart. And the consensus now is no, that this is a war that is going to begin before the tribulation starts and probably as much as three and a half years before it, because we're told it's going to take seven years to burn all the weapons that the Israelis gather. And we know that in the middle of the tribulation, they're going to be forced out of Israel by the Antichrist. So people are putting it before the tribulation now, and they debate whether it'll be before the rapture, after the rapture, or what. But definitely they're saying before the tribulation. One thing that we need to make clear to your listeners, Jan, is that most people believe that the rapture is the beginning yeah. of the tribulation, and it's not. Right. There's going to be a gap between the rapture and the tribulation, and it might be as long as three or four years, during which time the Antichrist will rise to power and possibly this war would occur in the Middle East, and then the Antichrist would sign his treaty with Russia, and the tribulation would begin. 
I'm glad you clarified that. And again, this is all up for debate and nobody knows for certain. And I think it's an intriguing discussion because, again, there's going to be serious activity at the midpoint of the tribulation. My goodness, the Jews realize the mistake they've made. They're honoring the Antichrist because they haven't figured out that he's personification of evil quite yet. They're going to find that out. And then they're on the run midpoint of the tribulation. That would affect this Gog and Magog war. I would say that the majority view today is that it's going to happen after the rapture, but before the tribulation. But it's interesting that there are some outstanding Bible prophecy teachers who argue it's going to be before the rapture and the tribulation. And of course, that immediately raises the issue of, are there any events that have to take place before the rapture occurs? And these people who argue it might be before the rapture would say, no, it doesn't have to be. We're not saying that it has to be. It's like the reestablishment of Israel was one of the great end-time prophecies, the fundamental prophecy of the end times, and it could have occurred before the rapture. It did occur before the rapture, but it could also have occurred afterwards. There are no signs for the rapture. There's just signs for the tribulation. But when we begin to see all these things coming together, we know that rapture is closer than ever. I'm going to play one more clip on Gog and Magog. This happens to be Amir Sarfati. Amir refers to Damascus, and he says Israel will be blamed for taking out Damascus. That's Isaiah 17, 1, the obliteration of the city of Damascus. I don't believe that's happened yet. I know some people do, but I think that's future. Let's just play that and talk about it for a moment. Regarding Damascus, I'm not sure who is going to destroy it, but I'm sure that Israel will be blamed for it, because this is how it goes in the Middle East. If something like that happened, it's always Israel to be blamed. And that's all that matters. If Israel would be blamed, then Israel has to be paying for it. I always believed, although the Bible doesn't put them together, those two prophecies of Ezekiel and Isaiah, if I have to guess which one comes first, I believe that it's Damascus falling that will happen first, that maybe even lead to the Ezekiel War. Yeah, almost a war of revenge by Russia and its allies. Exactly, because what is the common ground of Iran, Turkey, and Russia in the Middle East? Syria. Syria is the common ground. If Damascus is gone and the hopes of Syria as the camp of either the Iranians, the Russians, or the Turks, if that goes up in flames, then Israel has to pay for it. Again, I have to be very careful. I'm always telling people where the Bible is silent, we need to be silent. But we also need to keep our eyes open and watch what's going on around us. Even World War I and World War II were not mentioned in the Bible, but they took place and millions of people died and they reshaped our world. And there has to be a very major war that will reshape our world to the point that there is no more nationalists that will call the shots. It's going to be the globalists that will eventually have the upper hand. You're listening to Understanding the Times Radio. If you join me late, I'm Jan Markell. I have on the line from Texas, a very steamy, hot Texas, Dave Reagan. We're carrying his newest book, Nine Wars of the End Times. Dave Reagan, most believers aren't going to see all of these wars, and maybe we'll see possibly a fragment of one of the wars, but maximum. Why? Are we even telling believers to pay attention? Because there are going to be a lot of wars in the end time, and even though true believers I don't think will be here because we'll be taken out in the rapture, we need to understand and recognize that what the Bible teaches about these wars is that God is on his throne, God is in control, 
and God has the wisdom and power to orchestrate all the evil of mankind to the triumph of his Son in history. In fact, Jan, every time I get down in the mouth about what's going on in the world today, I always turn over and I read Psalm 2, which says that in the end times, all the leaders of the world are going to be shaking their fist at God and saying, who are you to tell us what we can do and what we can't do? We will do what we please. And it says that God's response is remarkable. Psalm 2, it says he sits on his throne and laughs. He's laughing not because he doesn't care, but he's laughing because he has it all under control and he's going to win in the end. I'm going to move on to your third war that you outline in the Bible. That would be the seal judgment of Revelation, which is going to be World War III, and the Antichrist launches his attacks to take over the world. And David, one thing that came to mind as I was reading your book, I think some people think that the Antichrist is going to appear on the scene. And again, is there a gap between the rapture and the tribulation start? I would say so, and there's got to be the signing of the covenant, Daniel 9.27, etc. But is he just going to magically appear on the scene? And you bring out that he's going to actually launch battles to take over the world, and I never thought of that. And the first one could be a conventional tribulation war, and that, again, would be the sealed judgment. Why don't you talk to us about this whole concept, particularly of the Antichrist, having to launch wars to take over? People have the mistaken impression that this man is going to be so charismatic and so full of wisdom and all. He'll have the answer to all the world's problems, and the whole world will come and kneel down before him and say, rule us. Well, I think that will be true of the European nations. I think that it says he's going to rise to power in that area, but he's going to do it by deceit and by cunning and by his brilliance. But just stop and think for a moment. Asia, Africa, and Latin America have fought for 200 years to get out from underneath European colonialism. They're not going to rush back to some European leader and say, take us over once again, we want you to rule us. That's just not going to happen. And it's certainly not going to happen among the Muslim nations because this Antichrist, I think, is going to be wedded with Christianity, at least a false form of Christianity. They're not going to buy him either. In fact, I think that God is going to use these initial wars in the tribulation to pour out his wrath upon the Muslim world. First, Israel will conquer all the Muslims in the Middle East. And then secondly, we know that the vast majority of Muslims are not in the Middle East. Biggest Muslim country in the world is Indonesia. Second is Bangladesh, India. So those people are going to have to be put under control. So I believe what we are reading about in the sealed judgments is the Antichrist launching a world war to conquer the world. And that's why I call this war the traditional war or the conventional war. And I also call it World War III. And it is a bloody war, Jan, as you well know. Let me just give you an example of that. We have about 7 billion people in the world today. Let's assume that when the rapture occurs, 1 billion is taken out. That leaves us with 6 billion. It says that in this war, one-fourth of all humanity will die. That would be 1.5 billion people in this one war. So this is going to be an incredible war. I have pastors who call me all the time and say, do you think we're in the tribulation now? And I said, let me tell you something. When we get in the tribulation, you want to call anybody and ask them. Yes, exactly. You emphasize this is going to be a conventional war. This does not include nukes quite yet because that's coming up. It's going to morph into the next war, which would probably be in the trumpet judgments. Trumpet judgment is going to be a nuclear war, and the Antichrist resorts to nuclear weapons. Now a third of humanity is going to be killed in this war. 
And this is, you say, probably midpoint of the tribulation. Billions have already been affected by this. Talk to us about it. One third of those left. Yes. After the initial war, in which 1.5 billion are killed, then one third of those left will be killed in this nuclear war. And that is another one and a half billion. So one half the population yeah. of the world will yeah. be dead by the middle of the tribulation. This is going to be something unparalleled in all of history. There are many evidences of this morphing into a nuclear war. It talks about, again, one third of the earth being burned up. Jesus, in fact, talked about the fact that during this time that the heavens themselves would appear to be falling upon people, that it would be unbelievable. I go into quite a bit of detail in this particular chapter about the nuclear weapons that exist today. For example, the most powerful bomb in our arsenal is the B-83, which has a yield of 1.2 megatons. That's 60 times the power of the bombs dropped on Japan in 1945. And Russia has a Tsar bomb that is 50 megatons. That's 2,500 times more powerful than the 1945 nuclear weapons. And the thing that's really changed it all, and I mean this is very sobering, and most people are not aware of it, is that in August of 2018, China successfully tested what's called an HGV missile. That stands for hypersonic glide vehicle. Now, what's so important about that is that these are intercontinental ballistic missiles that can be controlled from the moment of launch. The previous missiles had to go way up in the heavens, and they had a defined arc, and they came right down on the target. These stay close to the Earth, going at the supersonic speeds, and their movement can be controlled from the moment that they are launched. And Russia quickly followed the Chinese, and it was four years later before we tested our first HGV missile. The reason this is so important is because for the first time ever in the history of America, we are now subject to atomic attack. The oceans are no longer a defense for our nation. They can push the button, and these things can come in from all over and, of course, even closer from submarines. So we are living in a very dangerous time. I talked last week with Jeff Kinley about the apologetics of the book of Revelation. And the point we made last week and are making it again this week, David, is, folks, you don't want to be left behind to go into Daniel's 70th week, also known as the tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble. If you are left behind for that time period, these are some of the issues you're going to be dealing with. So turn to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior today. All who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved, and then you are spared from all this wrath that is to come. So that would be the nuclear war, the trumpet judgment. Let's move into, this is a mysterious one, Dave Reagan, and we may have to pick it up on the other side of my break. I just want to start with Revelation 12, the supernatural war, the war in the heavens, right before the middle of the tribulation, and Satan tries to take God's throne in heaven And this is the War of Revelation 12. Talk to us a little bit more about it. This is off the earth. It's in the heavens. Satan now is going to have no more access to heaven because he's going to get thrown out. You're correct, Jan. It occurs right in the middle of the tribulation. It is a supernatural war in the heavens where Satan and his hordes try to take the throne of God one last time. The archangel Michael, who is head of the armies of God, fights Satan in the heavens and wins and throws him down to earth. And it says that he comes down to the earth in great wrath, knowing that his time is short. That means Satan knows Bible prophecy, but he has deceived himself into believing that he can change it and that he can win in the end. 
But it says he comes down in great wrath, knowing his time is short, and the first thing he does is he goes after the Jewish people. He hates the Jewish people. He hates them with a passion. He always has. He tried to destroy them in the Holocaust, and he's going to pick up where he left off in the middle of the tribulation, and I think he's going to possess the Antichrist, and the Antichrist will then become obsessed with absolutely annihilating the Jewish people. You make a good point, and we'll get into that in part two of my programming, about his obsession with the Jews. The only word you can use is demonic. His obsession with the Jews is demonic, and he is determined more than anything else to wipe them off the map. But we'll get into that when I come back. I want to just highlight again, you can find this Nine Wars at the End Times in my online store at olivetreeviews.org, olivetreeviews.org. You can call my office for it. We don't charge any shipping in U.S. or Canada. You can get on our newsletter lists as well. One more heads up. We've got an Understanding the Times night coming up this week, Thursday, August the 3rd, with Jeff Kinley. Again, this is every other month we've been doing these at Revived Church in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. That's a suburb of Minneapolis. And there's no cost. There's no registration. We're going to live stream it to the world. My goodness, we've had millions of people sign on here in the last two years to watch these events. You can watch it live at markhenryministries.com, markhenryministries.com. You can watch it post-program on our website, olivetreeviews.org, and go to video. About three, four days after the event, you can watch it there. And you can watch it post-program at markhenryministries.com as well. Jeff Kinley and Mark Henry and myself will be talking about the final push of the book of Revelation. We'll be talking about in detail. We'll be talking about some current events as well. No cost, no registration. Just come on out to Revive Church in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, and we'd love to meet you all. Jeff Kinley, that's this Thursday, August the 3rd, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., all of that central time. I know you're accessing it literally from around the world, so it's central time here in America. I'm going to come back in just a moment or two. What is this war on the Jewish people? Do you know that there's only 14 million Jews left in the world? Now, the other offspring of Abraham was Ishmael, who now has hundreds of millions of descendants still alive. Isaac has only 14 million Jews left because there's been a war on the Jewish people. That would be the sixth war of the end times. We'll talk about it in just a moment or two. Don't go away. We hope you'll stay in touch with us online through olivetreeviews.org. That's olivetreeviews.org. You can call us Central Time at 763-559-4444. That's 763-559-4444. Write us through the mail at Olive Tree Ministries and Jan Markell, Post Office Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota 55311. That's Post Office Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota 55311. All gifts are tax deductible. In the age of fake news and false teaching, thank you for trusting Olive Tree Ministries and understanding the Times Radio. Thank you for your faithful support of this radio outreach during these summer months. We are in our 22nd year of broadcasting Understanding the Times Radio from coast to coast and electronically around the world, now on 1,000 radio outlets. Olive Tree Ministries is committed to helping you understand the times, contend for the faith, and be watchmen on the wall. 
Not everyone can be a financial partner, but you can be a prayer partner. Pray that hearts and ears would be open to the news and truths being presented weekly on Understanding the Times Radio. We believe the hour is late, and we must be about our Father's business as last day's ambassadors. Tap into our products, newsletters, conferences, and radio program to help to equip you for the challenging times ahead. You are here on assignment, so let's finish well. The world is growing gloriously dark, and nobody can understand that term unless they know Bible prophecy. But it's growing glorious dark because it's an indication Jesus is about to return. We know you can't always be by a radio, so if you miss a program, visit our website, olivetreeviews.org. That's olivetreeviews.org, and then go to radio, where we feature both the audio and video version of our program. You can also catch the program at oneplace.com, on our Rumble or YouTube channel, and on his channel, Christian TV. Now, here are Jan Markell and Dr. David Reagan to wrap up today's program. But I seriously doubt, personally, that the conflict described in Ezekiel 38 and 39 will be the next war of the end times. I feel that way for two reasons. First, there is a condition for the war in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that simply does not exist today. And there is no prospect for it to exist in the near future. Three times in Ezekiel 38, verses 8, 11, and 14, it says this war will occur when the people of Israel are living securely in unwalled villages. It is this requirement that has motivated most modern-day prophecy scholars, men like John Walford, for example, to place the Gog and Magog war after the beginning of the tribulation because the tribulation begins with the Antichrist signing a treaty that appears to bring peace to Israel. Since that's the only way they can imagine peace would come to Israel, they say, okay, then the Gog and Magog war has to begin after the tribulation starts. And I certainly can understand that argument. I don't agree with that argument, but I understand it. I would certainly agree that Israel is not living securely today in unwalled villages. Either internally or externally do they have security. Internally, there is the constant threat of missile attacks from Hamas in Gaza and Hezbollah in Lebanon and terrorist attacks from Palestinians. Externally, there is the constant threat of war. Israel was born in war, and Israel has remained in a state of war ever since it was established. Sometimes we just don't realize how many wars there have been in Israel. Welcome back. You are listening to Understanding the Times Radio, talking to Dr. David Reagan because we carry his newest book, Nine Wars of the End Times. You can reach him if you've got a question at ChristInProphecy.org. He's the founder of Lamb and Lion Ministries, and you've probably seen him on their wonderful television program, Christ in Prophecy. So you can learn a lot more about that ministry. Tim Moore is now heading it up. And David, we moved on from Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38:39. but let me just a flashback, if I could, please. What does Russia want from Israel in this Ezekiel 38-39 war? It says in Ezekiel 38-39 that they're going to come down for spoil and plunder. And, of course, the one thing that people have always pointed to is the great economic value of the minerals in the Dead Sea. But the new thing that has come on the scene is the huge gas reserves that Israel has discovered off their coast, some of the largest gas reserves in the world. 
and Russia certainly wants those because the Russian economy is in an absolute shambles at the moment. That's right. That would be it. And then I think also the fact that, as I said before, when they come down, I don't think they're going to stop at Israel. I think they're going to take over the whole Middle East. That would be their goal because they want the oil fields of the Middle East as well. So there's going to be a lot of motivation for them to come. And I think the Arabs are going to invite them to come because of the destruction that Israel has placed upon many of these Arab nations. I want to keep my promise and head right over to discussing the war on the Jewish people. You have this as the sixth war of the end times. Satan is going to try to annihilate the Jewish people. Actually, that's been a scheme that's been fairly successful here over these centuries. He hates them with a passion. They gave us the Bible. Jesus Christ came through the Jewish people. The Jews, as you say, they must come to the end of themselves at some point in time, and they're going to do that. They're actually going to flee to Petra in trying to escape the Antichrist. That's midpoint of the tribulation. But talk to us for a few minutes here about this war on the Jewish people, because you hit it right on the head. For those who have just tuned in, let me just say that we're covering these nine wars, and the sixth one was the war in heaven, a supernatural war, which results in Satan being cast down to earth. It says he comes down to earth in great wrath. He possesses the Antichrist, and then for the last three and a half years of the tribulation, he has one purpose. He is absolutely obsessed with annihilating all the Jewish people, and that's because Satan hates the Jewish people with a passion. He hates them because they're the chosen people of God. He hates them because God used them to give the scriptures to the world. He hates them because it was through them the Messiah came. He hates them because God has promised there's going to be a great remnant of them to faith in his son at the end of the tribulation, and he doesn't want to see one Jew saved. And he hates them because God has promised that a believing remnant will be given a great kingdom, a worldwide kingdom, that Jesus will rule over the whole world from Jerusalem, and the world will have peace, righteousness, and justice. And he doesn't want to see any of that happen. So he is going to be obsessed with destroying the Jewish people in the end times. And it says that they will flee into the area that we know today as Jordan, possibly into the area known as Petra, and that they will be given supernatural protection there. We know that because in Daniel 11, we're told that later on, when the Antichrist invades the Middle East one last time, he is not allowed to enter the area that we know of today as Jordan, that God supernaturally prevents him from going in there. So they are protected there supernaturally by God. This is amazing. It really is. They're going to flee to Petra, as you say, supernatural protection there. All of these things that are happening that are supernatural, my goodness, this is having progressive effect on the Jewish people so that they're more and more open to looking upon him whom they pierced. Yes, Jen, I want to emphasize something that you mentioned, and that is that the Arab people and the Jewish people were both founded at the same time. Mm -hmm. One came from Ishmael and one came from Isaac. And yet today, there's 400 million Arabs in the world, and there's only 14 million Jews. That is how much the Jewish people have been persecuted throughout their history. It's just incredible. Well, he's not going to stop. That's why the tribulation is called the time of Jacob's trouble. Really, the whole seven years, it's more persecution, more fleeing, more hiding. It's unbelievable. Yes, I believe the most important purpose of the tribulation, though, is to bring the Jewish people to the end of themselves. That's right so that they can be saved. And it says, a great remnant, I believe every Jew that's left alive at the end of the tribulation is going to look upon him whom they pierced and weep and will and mourn and receive Yeshua as their Messiah. Well, that will be the fulfillment of all Israel will be saved, Romans 11. 
Not every Jew on earth will be saved, folks, but those that survive everything we're talking about and that we've talked about on air for years, everyone that survives all of this will look upon Jesus as he returns in the second coming, which is going to be at the end of some of these wars. David, is there anything else you want to cover on the war on the Jewish people? And this is the sixth war, but I think it's the most important one in our discussion because, again, we're going throughout history looking at this war is endless. It began a long time ago, and it's going to go to the very end of time because Satan has a passion to get rid of them. The only thing I'd mention is that those who believe in replacement yeah. theology who say God's washed his hands, Jews, has no purpose left for them whatsoever. They need to read the book of Revelation. They also need to believe what Jesus said. Jesus himself said, I will not return to this earth until the Jewish people are willing to say, Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I would say the Jewish people have a great future ahead of them. Yeah, I appreciate that. Your next war, you call it Antichrist's Mideast War. After he drives the Jews to Petra, he retreats to his headquarters and settles into his reign, and this is the way you describe it. There's going to be a revolt against his rule. The Jews are going to revolt. Let's talk about this for a moment, because you clarify in the book, and this would probably be the war number seven, that this is a lead-up to Armageddon. Yes. So what happens is that with this great revolt that occurs in the Middle East, I think what happens, the Jews start going back to Jerusalem and they begin to revolt again. That's been their history of revolt. It says he will come into the Middle East with a great army. He will start up at the high point of the Middle East, up in the Lebanese area, and come right down through Israel all the way to Egypt and conquer Egypt. But it says when he gets to Egypt, he will hear very disturbing things, and it will be about armies of the East coming against him. They will be at the Euphrates River about to come into the Valley of Armageddon, and it says he'll turn around and retreat back to that area. I think he leaves off part of his army in Jerusalem as he retreats to the Valley of Armageddon. That leads us then into the Battle of Armageddon because he will be there waiting for these armies to come in, and that leads us up to something that will probably astound people, and that is that then I don't believe there is a Battle of Armageddon that when you think of a battle of Armageddon, you think of armies going out yes. battling each other. But it says Jesus is going to return to the Mount of Olives and speak a supernatural word. And when he does, all the armies of the Antichrist will drop dead in their tracks. It says their eyeballs will melt, their tongues will melt, their skin will drop from their bodies, that the blood will be as deep as a horse's bridle. This is the person who spoke and the whole world came into existence. He doesn't have to send an army out to fight anybody. So there's going to be a tremendous event that will occur at that moment. He will defeat the armies of the Antichrist in a matter of seconds. You do not feel that Armageddon is actually a war. You do say God's going to come against the nations that divided up his land. That's Joel 3. So how does that fit in? Some people talk about the campaign of Armageddon, yes, which yes. is fine. I don't have a problem with that. The campaign of Armageddon would involve coming into the Middle East, coming down through all those nations and conquering them, and then going up and concluding it in the Valley of Armageddon. And I'm just splitting it off as a separate battle, but I wouldn't be dogmatic about that. I think it's going to all conclude in the Valley of Armageddon. At that point, when he returns to the Mount of Olives and speaks that supernatural word, the thing that's very exciting and that your listeners should get very excited about is that the Bible makes it crystal clear that we're going to be there to see all that. When yes. he returns on the second coming, we are coming with him. It makes it very clear in the book of Revelation that that's going to be the situation and other places as well. We're coming with him. 
and we're going to be there hundreds of millions of glorified saints. We will be there shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, Hosanna to the Son of God, and we're going to see a replay in his life. Once before he came to the Mount of Olives and rode down on a donkey in the Kidron Valley and up to that eastern gate, and they yelled, Hosanna, and a week later they were yelling, Crucify But this time we're going to be yelling, Hosanna. We're going to be singing it. We're going to see him crowned as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we're going to have a great feast there on Mount Zion to celebrate that, and he is going to begin to reign over all the earth, and you and I in glorified bodies are going to be scattered around this earth to reign over those in natural bodies. We do have one more war. We're talking about the nine wars of the end times. David Reagan, his newest book, there's going to be a war at the end of the millennium. Let me just play a quick clip. This happens to be of you, and you're talking about this Gog Magog II, which is why it's confusing. And folks think this may be the same war as Ezekiel 38:39. It's not. It's called the same thing, but it's a totally different and distinct war. Mercifully and joyfully, the battle of Armageddon will be followed by 1,000 years of peace as the reign of Jesus from Jerusalem results in world being filled with peace, righteousness, and justice. Swords will be beaten to plowshares. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. Little children will play with snakes because they will no longer be poisonous. Jerusalem will be lifted up as the highest place on planet Earth. Jesus will reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. David in his glorified body as the King of Israel. Multitudes will come from the earth to see the King of Kings. His glory will go out to the whole world. The blessings of God will flow through the Jewish nation to all the nations of the world to the point that when one Jew walks by, ten Gentiles will grab his robe and say, Can we walk with you? Because we know that God is with you. What a glorious time that's going to be. Satan will be bound. Sin and crime will be greatly reduced. But there will still be seething rebellion in the hearts of many, if not most of those who are born during that time. There's going to be a great population explosion during the millennium. Those who go in the millennium in the flesh will all be saved people, but they will begin to repopulate the earth, and their children will have to come to the point where they're going to believe in Jesus or not. And the point that the Bible makes is that most will not. There will be seething rebellion in the hearts of most people. And why would there be resentment in the hearts of people in the midst of a perfect reign of Jesus Christ? The answer is really very simple. The answer is simple. It's because he's going to rule with a rod of iron. Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. He will give the law. The law will be strictly enforced by those of us who will be reigning with Jesus in our glorified bodies. Those living in the flesh will deeply resent the fact that they cannot freely pursue their worldly lusts because they'll have that sin nature in them. They know that if they step out of line, there will be instant arrest, instant trial, instant punishment. No appeal because every person ruling will have the mind of Christ. Justice will be swift. Justice will be certain. Justice will be sure. And so they simply grind their teeth and say, we love you, Jesus, but they will be grinding their teeth. And thus, when Satan is released at the end of the millennium, the majority of those in the flesh will unite in one last great rebellion against God. The ninth war of the end times, the second battle of Gog and Magog. If you join me late, you are listening to Understanding the Times Radio. I'm Jan Markell. I have on the line from Texas, Dr. David Reagan, founder of Lamb Lion Ministries. You can look them up online, ChristinProphecy.org. We carry his newest book, Nine Wars of the End Times, in my online store, OliveTreeViews.org, OliveTreeViews.org. Call my office, get on our newsletter list. Okay, David, that's kind of an ominous thing we're listening to you. 
We need to clarify. We believers come back with Jesus in the second coming. We populate the millennium with glorified bodies. And as you've just stated in this clip, there's going to be lots of people going into the millennium. They're believers who survived the tribulation. They got saved in the tribulation. They're now going to be populating the millennium. They're going to have some of that sin nature left in the millennium, which I don't get, but we don't have to. It's just the way it's going to be. And then there's going to be another war. It's the second war of Gog and Magog. It's the last war of history. Help us understand this a little bit better. It shows the heart of the natural man in the millennium strays again. Yes. This particular war, what people may not understand is, and you mentioned this, is that all those saved during the tribulation who are not martyred and who live to the end will go into the millennium in the flesh, and then they'll begin to propagate. And we're told that the lifespan of mankind will be returned to what it was at the beginning. So I think that all those who go in the millennium in the flesh will live the entire period of the millennium, and then they will be having children. So the population of the world will grow exponentially. By the end of the millennium, there will be billions of people on planet Earth, and many of those will revolt at the end. And people say to me, well, why would they do that? They're going to be living in perfect society. Well, they're going to have a sin nature. Can you imagine with that sin nature that wants a little extra alcohol, some drugs over here, some extra sex over there, and you're wanting all those things that the sin nature wants, and you're living in a society where there is no tolerance of it, none whatsoever. So what you do is you grit your teeth and say, we praise you, Jesus, but you're gritting your teeth the whole time. All of this is building up this explosion that's going to occur at the end of the millennium. And what happens is that Satan is released right at the end, and he goes forth and says, let's go get the Joker in Jerusalem. And these people will rally to that, many of them, and they will go to Jerusalem to overthrow Jesus Christ. And you mentioned earlier in the program that many people have, through the years, confused themselves into thinking that the war of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 9 is the same as this war at the end of the millennium. And you pointed out that's not true, and you're right. The war in Ezekiel 38 and 39 comes against Israel. This is a war aimed at Jesus in Jerusalem. The war in Ezekiel 38 and 39 has very specified allies, all of which are from the European area and Asian area, whereas this war at the end of the millennium is all the nations of the world join with Satan to try to overthrow Jesus. I think there are many purposes in the millennium, Jan, many. Yes. And I go into what yes, they are. Yes, you do. They're important. You can summarize if you'd like. Yes, God has made promises to Israel that he is going to fulfill. He has promised the Jewish people, these would be people who have put their faith in Yeshua, that there's going to come a time when they're going to have a kingdom that will rule over all the world, and that all the blessings of God will flow through them to the point that when a Jew walks by, 10 Gentiles mm-hmm. will grab his robe and say, let us walk with you because we know that God is with you. He's going to turn around the world's attitude toward the Jewish people during this time. God's going to fulfill promises to them. He's going to fulfill promises to Gentile believers who he said will reign with him over all the world. He's going to fulfill promises to nature because he's promised that he's going to reconcile nature and put it back in the state of perfection it was at the beginning. And then he says he's going to fulfill promises to the nations that he's going to give them the peace and security that they've always wanted. There'll be no wars during this time. But I think really one of the main purposes of the millennium is God is going to prove once and for all that the religion of Satan, which is humanism, is false. Humanism teaches, it goes by many different names, but humanism teaches that the hope of man is man. 
Mm. Put your hope in man, that man can accomplish anything if he desires to and if he has enough education, and that we can perfect man through education, and that ultimately we're going to have a utopia that has been established by man, which is nonsense. He's going to prove once and for all that it's just wrong because he's going to give the world a perfect government for a thousand years and the world's going to revolt against it. So what we have here is history beginning and ending in the same place. It begins with two people in a perfect environment who rebel against God. It ends with all of humanity in a perfect environment and a great number of them rebel against God. David summarizes all of these things in this book that's just come out, and it's a very quick read. It's about 160 pages or so. David, I'm changing direction here just a little bit because you have watched Signs of the Times even longer than I have, if that's possible, you have. And you have seen things that you never thought you would see as a Christian. You've seen some of the decline of America, which obviously is very heartbreaking to have to watch, and some other things, too. You even see Israel be betrayed by certain administrations certainly the current one as we speak, but contrast the difference between things you were watching, say, 40 and 50 years ago to today. When I do that, people wonder if I was born the same year of Abe Lincoln, because I'm 85 years old. During my lifetime, I have seen America go from a Christian nation, and I mean that, a Christian nation, to one that is pagan and secular. When I was growing up, everything was closed on Sunday, for example, except hospitals, and some service stations and some drugstores, but everything else was closed. Sporting events were never held on Sunday. They were never held on Wednesday night because they knew those were Christian times of meeting. It just goes on and on and on of what the differences were when I was growing up and the tremendous godly influence we had. For example, it was not until the mid-50s, 1955-56, that the Congress of the United States adopted In God We Trust as our national motto. 1955-56, the Congress of the United States changed the Pledge of Allegiance to say, One Nation Under God. Now, that's pretty recent. It's 60 years ago that this happened, and today it's unbelievable that that happened. Today, there are people in Congress who want to revoke both of those things. There are people in Congress who want to also revoke the national anthem and use John Lennon's song, Imagine, as our national anthem, which is an anthem to atheism. That's how much America has shifted in a very short period of time. It's something that makes me want to sit down and cry at times when I see how our nation, one of the most blessed nations that's ever existed, has turned its back on God and is rebelling against God and shaking its fist at God and saying, we're going to do what we please. Don't bother us. In fact, one of the great prophetic voices that I mentioned in my book, God's Prophetic Voices to America, is Alexander Solzhenitsyn of Russia, who came here and lived after he was deported from Russia. And when he was invited to give the commencement address at Harvard University in the 1970s, he got up there and he said, let me tell you something, folks. Your nation is going in the same direction that Russia did. He said, I've asked older people in Russia over and over, why did we have 70 years of communism? And the answer has always been the same. We forgot about God. And he said, I'm telling you, America has forgotten about God, and that was in the mid-1970s, and we have a hundred times worse today. But the good news, Jan, is that the Bible says this is going to happen in the end times, that Jesus is going to return at a time when society has fallen apart, when people are in rebellion against God, when it's as bad as it was in the days of Noah. And if you go over to Genesis 6 and read about the days of Noah, it had two characteristics, violence 
and immorality. And that's what we're seeing in America today and around the world. So as Adrian Rogers once said, the world is growing gloriously dark. And nobody can understand that term unless they know Bible prophecy. But it's growing glorious dark because it's an indication Jesus is about to return. And as Jan Markell has said a hundred times, the world is not falling to pieces. The pieces are all falling into place. Yeah, I probably said that a thousand times, maybe 10,000 times. We've got to keep it in perspective. Everything's falling into place. There's nothing happening by accident. Nothing's out of control because God is always in control. David, you kind of wrap up this book, and you dwell on the rapture towards the end of your book. Why don't we just wind things down here? I've got about three minutes left, but I think we'd need to focus on that as well. For one thing, those of us who depart in the rapture, we are spared so much of the wrath that's to come. We're probably spared from having to watch any of these wars. And again, both you and Jeff Kinley last week talked about some of the things that will be transpiring during that time of Jacob's trouble. And folks, that's what the tribulation is called. That's why it has nothing to do with the church. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's to bring Israel to faith, and it's to punish the pagan world. But let's just close with some thoughts on the rapture, David. I'm down to about three minutes. I believe very strongly in a pre-tribulation rapture. I've written a little book about that, in fact, called The Rapture, True or False. I just think the Bible makes it very clear we're going to be taken out of here. First Thessalonians 1.10 says that we are waiting for Jesus to return to deliver us from the wrath that is to come. And that's just one of many indications that we are not going to experience this. And I urge people to get serious about Jesus. Our time is short. We are living on borrowed yeah. time. Jesus could appear in the heavens any moment to take us out of this world. And those who are left behind are going to face the terror of all these wars, the terror of the Antichrist. If they are believers, they're going to be hunted down and martyred. It's going to be a horrible, horrible time. I urge people, get serious about Jesus right now. Bend your knee to him. Give your life to him. Be born again and have the hope of not only the rapture, but hope of eternal life in a new body, an immortal body on a new earth in the presence of Almighty God. It says that God is going to come down to earth and live in our presence in that new earth that will be perfected and that we will see his face and that we will serve him for eternity. What more could anybody ask for? And it's all free of charge. All you have to do is reach out and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Quick reminder, again, this Thursday night we'll be meeting at Revived Church in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, 7 to 9 p.m. Central Time with Jeff Kinley. We'll be talking about the Book of Revelation, current events, have a Q&A. You can live stream it at markhenryministries.com, markhenryministries.com. You can turn out to the church. Doors open at 6 p.m., program 7 p.m. Central Time, no cost, no registration. You can watch it post-program on our website, olivetreeviews.org, and go to video at markhenryministries.com as well. Again, that's this Thursday, August 3rd, 7 p.m. Central Time, And we'll have a DVD of that as well. Three, four days later, you can order a DVD of the event for just $10. No shipping. You can watch it free on the various websites. It's about a two-hour program, including a message, including some discussion, including some Q&A. Again, folks, the book is Nine Wars of the End Times. We were able to cover all of them briefly. I think that the discussion that surrounds each of these wars is fascinating. I really do. 
David, thank you for all you do. And I know you're focusing on writing right now. I hope that's rewarding for you because you stepped down from Lamb and Lion Ministry and Tim Moore has taken over. So I hope you're enjoying your semi-retirement. It's up my fifth book since I retired, quote unquote. Yes. And the newest one is going to be titled, How to Die with a Smile on Your Face. When is that out? Hopefully in September. Let me just go out of the program with a Bible verse today. I'm quoting John 14, actually a couple of verses here. We'll just stop at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. We've talked about war for an hour here. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives you do I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor be fearful. Knowing the Prince of Peace, we can have peace amidst the pieces of our life. Again, folks, knowing God is in control, we know that nothing in our life is out of control. I want to thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again next week. Contact us through our website olivetreeviews.org that's olivetreeviews.org call us central time at 763-559-4444 that's 763-559-4444 you get our mail when you write to olive tree ministries and jan markell box 1452 maple grove minnesota 55311 that's box 1452 Maple Grove, Minnesota, 55311. All gifts are tax deductible. You've been called for such a time as this. You are here on assignment. Don't grow weary. Just know that God allows all things to happen so that everything can fall into place.